Welcome to this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we dive back into Visualized American Government, 1964 edition. We have been, in previous episodes, talking about growth of the Constitution since 1787, and we are in Section 2, which discusses influence of liberal construction upon constitutional development. Within Section 2, today we discuss further curbs on the powers of the states. Let's waste no time and get into this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. on the powers of the states. By means of other notable decisions, the Supreme Court was effectively limiting the powers of the states and clearing the way for the expansion of federal authority. State laws and sanctity of contracts. In Fletcher v. Peck, 1810, The court ruled that a land grant was a contract between a state and an individual and could not be revoked by a later legislative action. In Sturgis v. Cohenshield, 1819, the same immunity was extended to the ordinary contracts between persons. A New York law which granted relief to insolvent debtors even in the case of a debt contracted before the passage of the law was declared invalid on the ground that it impaired the obligations of contract. In the same year, in the Dartmouth College case, Marshall handed down an even more famous decision affirming the inviability of contracts. The legislator of New Hampshire had altered the charter of Dartmouth College in order to bring it under more direct control. Reversing the decision of the higher court of New Hampshire, the Supreme Court ruled that the college was a private rather than a public institution that its charter, originally granted by the province of New Hampshire in the name of the British Crown, was a contract, and that any legislation which attempted to alter the charter against the wishes of the College Board of Trustees impaired the obligation of contract and therefore was null and void. The effects of this decision were far-reaching. The ruling that a charter was a contract which could not be altered by the state made the corporate form of organization most attractive to businessmen and investors. It is true that the states adopted the policy of inserting into grants of charter a clause reserving the right to alter or annul the 
provisions. But these reservations did not, as a practical matter, set aside Marshall's thesis of the sanctity of contracts. The ruling in the Dartmouth College case, which has been cited in thousands of corporation suits, may be considered the foundation of our corporation law. Finally, the Dartmouth College decision gave rise to innumerable controversies over that vast and vaguely defined area of state sovereignty known as the police power. Repeatedly, the federal judiciary was called upon to decide whether a state law, which is one way or another, restricted the rights of corporations, should be set aside as an infringement of the obligation of contract, or upheld as a necessary exercise of the police power to protect the life, health, morals, or property of the people of that state. Exclusive national control over interstate and foreign commerce. In two notable decisions, the Supreme Court made certain that the power to regulate commerce would be reserved exclusively to Congress. The first was in the case of Gibson versus Ogden, 1824. The state of New York had granted Robert E. Livingston and Robert Fullerton a monopoly of steamboat transportation on the Hudson River. Georgia, Massachusetts, Louisiana, and other states granted similar monopoly rights to other individuals. A New Jersey steamboat owner claimed the right to enter the port of New York via the mouth of the Hudson challenged the monopoly. Here was an issue of the utmost significance. If states could grant exclusive control of navigation within their borders to a few privileged persons, then trade might be throttled by a maze of restrictive local monopolies, and the United States might remain broken up into isolated economic units. Once again, Marshall speaking for the Supreme Court majority sounded the theme of nationalism. The Constitution clearly gives Congress the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among several states, arguing that commerce comprises navigation. He held that whenever navigation of any river within the limits of a single state affects the flow of interstate or foreign commerce, the right of regulation is vested in Congress alone. Marshall's opinion not only cleared the inland waterways of the nation from obstructive state restrictions, but also opened the way 
to the construction and operation of railway systems, telegraph and telephone lines, and gas and oil pipelines on a national scale. This development was of the utmost significance in knitting the American people into one nation. Three years later, in Brown v. Maryland, the Supreme Court upheld the exclusive power of Congress over foreign commerce by annulling a Maryland law requiring importers to take out a license, ruling that a license was a tax. The court declared that a state had no power to collect such tax as long as the imported article remained in the possession of the importer in the original form or package it was shipped or imported in. going to be a wrap for this week's episode make sure you join us next week right here exclusively on anchor when we dive back into visualized american government 1964 edition we're going to speak about acceptance of doctrine of implied powers specifically mccullough versus maryland until next week i'm ed waters your host Make sure you share, like, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next week. Ed Waters out.